Welcome to Different from the Other Kids, a weekly talk show for parents of challenging children. With your host, Angela Sunis, author of the Amazon best-selling book, Different from the Other Kids. Each week, Angela will interview an individual or professional within the mental health community. Different from the Other Kids. Season 2, production of Marketing Maven Agency. Welcome to another episode of Different from the Other Kids. I'm Angela, your podcast director. Wanted to welcome you to the program today and wanted to start off with something that I thought was way cool. It's an article from the Washington Post and it is from a guy named Lenny Bernstein from January the 4th, 2016, and it's called Trying to Make Mental Health First Aid, as familiar as CPR. I'm just going to read directly from the article, give you a little excerpt here. I think it's a fantastic initiative and wanted to share it. If someone suddenly collapsed and appeared to be having a heart attack, you wouldn't just walk on by, right? You'd at least call 911. You'd likely stay with the person while the ambulance was coming, and if you were trained, you might even start CPR. Chances are that human decency would motivate you to do something. So why is it that when we see obvious signs of mental or emotional crisis in a friend, colleague, or even a casual acquaintance, our first reaction is to withdraw? We typically consider behavioral health issues too personal for our intervention. Intervention. Out of bounds for anyone but a family member or a very close friend. That pretty much defines the challenge facing the National Council for Behavioral Health that is hoping to train another 500,000 people in its mental health first aid course in 2016. The goal of the eight-hour session is to help people recognize when someone is suffering from a mental health or substance abuse disorder and to encourage intervention. The truth of the matter is that you are more likely to encounter someone who is experiencing a behavioral health condition or crisis than someone facing a physical emergency. The biggest message is that an individual has the capacity to help, says America Perez, the instructor that day. Are you going to avert a mass shooting? Unlikely. Could you stop or postpone a suicide attempt? Definitely. But how? Let's walk this out for everybody as I read this. By making a connection with someone who may have no one else to talk to, by suggesting that he or she seek professional help right now, by offering some ideas about how that could be done, maybe even helping to place the call. In other words, by responding, the same way you'd grab an automatic defibrillator and use it on someone who had collapsed, even if you weren't entirely sure how. So that's the latest, greatest initiative that I've come up with, guys, out of North America. And it is the National Council for Behavioral Health coming up with a program in mental health first aid. How outstanding! So let's move on. Let's keep going on our conversation with our buddy, Bob Coven. He has been educated through a program for stand-up comedy and mental illness called Laughing Like Crazy. It is an initiative from the Mood Disorders Association of Ontario. So let me just read you a little bit from their webpage. This is uh, an amazing, amazing program. It has been going for 10 years. Laughing Like Crazy aims to empower participants and audiences alike, break down isolation and anxiety, build self-esteem, 
and challenge stigma. Looking at difficult issues through the lens of humor provides an empowering perspective on mental health issues, builds confidence, and improves communication. Our problems are transformed into humor. We're laughing so you can too. There's no point in being sane unless you're laughing like crazy. The program itself. The backbone of the Laughing Like Crazy program is an intensive 16-week group that teaches participants how to develop a stand-up comedy routine based on their experiences of mental health issues and the mental health system. Each meeting combines mutual support and group building with learning how to write, hone, and deliver a stand-up routine. The culmination of the program is a public showcase performance where people perform stand-up comedy for the very first time. There's a lot of people getting a lot of great therapy out of this. They're learning to deal with some of these things that are that they normally would never have brought up or never would have shared, and it makes them less conscious about sharing it. So let's move on a little bit here and go off into our next interview with Bob. Here's Bobby. you got to do it with jazz hands when you talk about Bobby because he is a larger-than-life character, and he has brought me some welcome relief. Some of this stuff can get pretty heavy, and uh, Bob has given me the opportunity to lighten things up a bit. He has introduced me to a whole other world of mental health. Little known fact about Bobby Coven, otherwise known as Booby Coven, because I misspelled his name once and he has insisted since that that's his name. Booby, he was an avid, or he is an avid skier all his life. He has been on the board of directors for Beaver Valley Ski Club for, well, he was there for about 15 years. So without further ado, let's drop it back in on our conversation with Bob. That's not the first time that I've used uh, stand-up and comedy as a way of expending my energy. Whether I'm skiing, whether I'm public speaking, whether I'm doing comedy, uh, whether I'm dancing, this is all about energy. And I think that a parent could understand mm -hmm. and just see the energy that their kids have and that they have extraordinary energy at some point, they're going to have extraordinary negative energy. Mm -hmm. And that's called the black room. So how do I know about the black room? Well, I spent all kinds of times with therapists. I spent all kinds of times with people, professionals. And one day when I was down at KMH trying to get into CBT, I saw a friend of mine. And he was on the other side of the uh, glass wall. And I asked him what he was doing there. And he said, look, you know, I've checked myself in. He says, I just... You know, most of these people are suicidal or they're there to protect themselves. And he said, look, it's, you know, like I have no money. To the person I said, you're, you're loaded. He says, yeah, but I don't have any money. So when he got better, I went to his house and we went upstairs. And uh, he explained to me about the dark room. And he said, look, Bob, people don't understand this dark room. But he says, once you're in it. It's impossible to get out of it. I've never heard that before, the dark room, and my God, does that ever ring true. It resonates, the dark doesn't room. it? Totally, totally does. So if you're in this dark room, you can get out of it. If you get out of it, never go back and right. do everything that you possibly can. Right. But if you're in it and you keep going backwards, you get deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. So I'm no expert on suicide or anything, but you know when you look at 
the Robin Williams. Sure. I mean, you know, they have everything going for them. How could they kill themselves? Why are they so selfish? Why didn't they think about their kids, their parents, their whatever? They didn't because they were in the dark room and they couldn't see them. It didn't make any difference. Right. So, you know, this morning I just got an email from a friend of mine and I sent to my website and she said, you are an inspiration to us all as we have had our own demons to fight over the years. It's always a battle, but with professional help, sharing, and lots of laughter, we can change our lives like you have. So that basically, again, encapsulates it. Absolutely. Uh, That's amazing. And that was just this morning. That was just this morning. You can validate it. You can see there's the data. That's amazing. That must make your heart sing beyond belief. Well, it's... it's, Because you've been on this road now. You went through that really bad period of time, and now you're turning it around. So it's... How long has it been turned around that you've been... That you haven't been in the dark room? Since last June. Last June. Okay. And and so you've started your course. What's it called again? Uh, Laughing Like Crazy. Laughing Like Crazy. And that's facilitated by whom? Is uh, uh, There's an association called the Mood Disorder Association of Ontario. And who is the facilitator, though? Like, who would that be? Is that, well, they were like, two, is that they somebody were, who's an actual stand-up? Or? Well, at this time, it was actually two people that have graduated from the course. Okay. But it started off as, as a stand-up a professional comedian. But laughter is a tremendous way of making yourself feel good. When you do the performance, you're in front of 300 people. Now, there are 300 people that are there to support you, so they'll laugh. I've got standing up at Yuck Yucks, too, where, mm-hmm. you know, you have a, a group of people that are sitting there going, that, that's not funny. Like, they're expecting, you know, like Seinfeld up, up on the <laughs> stage. <laughs> I think, Angela, what it's all about is adding tools, as many tools to the toolbox as possible. Whether that be exercise, whether that be a support system, which I call my bath, whether that be called a, a group session where you can see other people that are less in worse shape than you are that you can talk to, uh, whether it be CBT, this is adding to my toolbox mm-hmm. because I'm coming out to talk to you a little bit about things that I don't really enjoy talking and about. And I, I meant to stop you before, but you were doing so well, and I didn't want to put a, a hitch in there, but I know, no, actually I don't. I can only imagine how difficult it would be to have this conversation and to have it out loud and so in public. I want to say thank you, because I think it's important that I acknowledge for our, on everyone's behalf that it, it's just it's appreciated, because you don't have to do this. You don't have to come out and talk to, to parents. You don't have to come and talk to people that are struggling. But the mere fact that you do, I think, makes them feel a lot better. It makes them feel a lot less lonely. You went through a lot of this, most, I would imagine, a lot of it. Did you have anybody that you knew that had any of the same struggles other than maybe your grandmother with the twitching, but with the depression, did you have anybody? Well, my grandmother didn't have struggles because she was just a happy-go-lucky housewife. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I will see somebody on the street that's twitching because it's a mimicking disease. Mm-hmm. And I used to ask them about uh, their twitching, and they said, you know, I don't have Tourette's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just at a party the other day and talking about my struggle with this nice guy, very successful, who just got through terrible arthritis. And I said, you know, you should go out and help other people because he had to go through chemotherapy and whatever. Oh, and I said, this is something you need to share with people that have arthritis. He says, shh, my wife's coming. We can't talk about this thing because our daughter has uh, mental issues and she doesn't want anyone to know. And this happens all the time. All the time, every day, all day long, yes. So this is something that, you know, 
that's very important. Now, I had written down some notes uh, just to make sure the toolbox, no magic bullet. My parents never saw it, bullying. So, you know, I've been diagnosed as having a triad, which is anxiety. Mm -hmm. Anxiety leads to worrying, worrying yourself to death, mm -hmm. and depression. Now, now, I call that, and that's the verbiage that was given to me was comorbid. But I've never heard the triad thing either, so that's that's really interesting because usually comorbid means that it's not just one issue. Usually ends up lending itself into other other things, whether you're touched a little bit or a lot, depends com entirely upon you and your makeup. That's right. Yeah. So so you hit the triad of that. That's yeah. That's that's tough. that's not very much fun. But I'm very glad that you're doing so much better. What are you attributing to hitting that bathroom and coming out is its very own trip? Could you talk to me a little bit about how did you climb yourself out of that? A lot of people call it a hole. How did you climb yourself out of the hole? If you could walk us through that a little bit, I think that would be really helpful. Well, it was actually, just like you said before, somebody identifying that there is this black room. Mm -hmm. You know, very few people explain it that way. Mm -hmm. And it's very visual and it's very understandable. But I saw somebody the other day, a really good friend of mine, who is a dynamic speaker and is a dynamic entrepreneur, and he had depression. He was in the doctor's office. I wanted to help him, but he wouldn't let me help him because I told him that my journey, the first thing that came out of my mouth is my journey was seven years, and he only wanted his journey to be a week. Right. <laughs> you know, and I just said, look, it isn't going to happen, but all you need to do is practice. And he said, well, what do you mean practice? I said, this is something that you have to practice. You have to practice it on a daily basis. It is like having diabetes. It's like having an illness. And, you know, if you have diabetes, you have to take insulin. If you have mental illness, you have to practice. So you have to do your mindfulness, which is, I think, the main thing that helps me with my mind. Because I spent, as I said, I was a fly fisherman. I am a fly fisherman. And I used to meditate by the river. And one of the things that simply said, and these are guided meditations mm -hmm. that I do. Okay. It says, look, you know, sit by a river, take your thoughts, cast them up the river, watch them go past you. But as soon as they're past you, get rid of them. And that's really what it's all about, is being able to get rid of them. Also, I went to my psychiatrist, who I've seen, you know, frequently. I've seen a number of psychiatrists since I was diagnosed when I was 22, said to me, you'll get better. Everybody gets better. And my girlfriend says, well, I tell you I was going to, you'll get better. Why don't you believe me? I said, because you're not a psychiatrist. <laughs> so, you know, if you believe that you're going to get better and you believe that it's not going to last, then you just sort of have to wait it out and wait it out in a, you know, don't wait it out in a bed where you, you don't want to get out and you just are lying there. But wait it out doing meditation, walking, talking. Okay. Did you ever listen to comedy? I always thought that that would be something that would probably help. You know, I never really listened to comedy because I was more interested in performing. Like, I'm a musician, but I can't sing you a word of a song because I don't really listen to the words. I just like what it does to me. Oh, really? It's very, it's very experiential. It's the energy thing again, uh -huh. you know? So you are doing me a favor, Angela, because you see, when I go for a walk with my friend that's having his struggles now, and he doesn't want to go for a walk, I say, how can you be so selfish? I said, we're not walking for you, we're walking for me, because mm -hmm. I am talking, and now I need to practice what I preach. 
I need to practice doing mindfulness. I need to walk. I need to, you know, I'm still on medications. You know, I hate when I have to fill up my Doucette every week. But I just stay on what it. What is Doucette? I Doucette's your pill box, you know. Oh, no, okay. And that's your sense of the things. You know, I've got this website, and the website will develop over time as a motivational speaker using comedy as, as a way of talking about being crazy. Because crazy to me, my nickname's been Crazy Wild Man all my life, but I don't think it's a nickname, I think it's a diagnosis. <laughs> so, um... Talk to me about the meditation a little bit more, if you don't mind. How long are you doing it for, and where are you getting the guided meditation from? The guided meditation comes from the Mindfulness Center. Yeah. Get you the uh, information for that. Thank you very much. It's guided. There's a number of different ones. How long are they? (laughs) The one that I practice is 30 minutes, uh, 35 minutes. And you do it once a day? I do it once a day in the morning. I also stretch, and I also uh, do Tai Chi. Okay, and how long is the stretching and how long is the Tai Chi? Just to get an idea of what your routine is. My routine is uh, 30 minutes of meditation, 15 minutes of stretching, and, you know, 20 minutes of Tai Chi. I just started, again, I've been on and off meditation for probably, I don't know, good God. I had um, anxiety disorder and was medicated, kept having panic attacks, so I ended up in a meditation program as well, but I hated it. Couldn't stand it, wasn't good at it, couldn't sit still. Uh, When I did sit still, I'd fall asleep, which they say is an avoidance. I don't know. But in the recent years, probably in the last seven, I've gone back, and I think the meditation has saved me a bunch of times from a bunch of pretty dark places. So now I just started again, not because I was in a dark place, but because I wanted a lighter place and because I found myself in a situation of doing what you're doing, which is a lot of sharing, and I did find that it was getting very stressful in a weird way, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's the vulnerability of it. I'm not sure. But I started my meditation again, and now I love it. That's right. I love it. So, And mine's only 15 minutes guided, and then I stretch as well for about another 15 minutes. Tell me about the Tai Chi. I've always wanted to do Tai Chi, and speak to me from somebody that's doing it, getting their charge out of it now. Okay, well, first thing, on the meditation... It's like the point where it becomes your friend. Yeah. Like you, the best thing, really does. Like the my best, best buddy. Yeah, the, the best time I have is the time that I'm with myself. Yep. <laughs> you know, now I have to manage my OCD because I get thoughts and I want to write it on the whiteboard or, you know, I get thoughts and I want to check out if the email had come in. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, gotta, I, I sit myself down. <laughs> but it becomes your friend and it really becomes positive energy. Yeah. But it takes practice. And we're not talking five times ten. People go to marriage counselors. Yeah, people go to marriage counselors. They go two times and they said, I tried it. Yeah. I mean, this is something that you have to do on a continuum basis. Yeah. So the Tai Chi, what it is, is is that it it does two things. First thing, it's stretching without having to use bands and Mm -hmm. go to the clubs and all that stuff. But it's basically a memory exercise. So, you know, it's a form of 108 moves. So, and you always have to be two moves ahead. Like in anything, like your ski racing, you have to be two moves ahead for the, for the gates. If you're fly fishing, you have to be two moves ahead because you're watching ahead. And you have to be two moves ahead in Tai Chi because you've got to figure out, does this connect to this other one? And, oh, uh, so it's, it's like a, it looks like, when I'm visually watching it, it looks like a bit of a dance. And it looks like it's just very seamlessly moving in. So I guess you're moving from one move to the other. You're moving from one move to the other. Mm -hmm. They all represent animals. 
Mm. And it's one of these things that you can never perfect. Mindfulness you can never perfect. Tai Chi you cannot, uh, you know, a martial art you can never perfect. <laughs> and another interesting thing, Angela, is if you can find something when hours turn into minutes, then that's a good thing because being depressed and anxious is when minutes turn into hours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, doing Tai Chi, mindfulness, like I can't believe I've been sitting here for 40 minutes. Like I don't remember any of it. Mm -hmm. Sex is like that, <laughs> you know? Yes. You know, you think you've only been doing it for about a minute, but I've been doing it for two minutes. <laughs> no, you know, it's a thing where hours turn into minutes. Yes. I don't know about your sex, yeah. but mine, I'm 60 years old and I'm all the antidepressants that I'm on and uh, my libido, you know, if I started today, I might be finished by Sunday. <laughs> your libido always sounds very healthy when I talk to you about it. Well, there you go. Well, that's because we're dressed and it's the morning. So <laughs> I'm going to continue on with my, my comedy. Yeah. Officially doing this has just started, but I've been doing this. Basically, ever since I was 16, I sort of taught myself to play the piano. And I have this innate ability to make up words. And people always, you know, enjoy my comedy. The problem is that I have an obsession on a couple of things. And most of it, a lot of it talks about sexual. And I'm always making stories and talking about sexual stuff. But... When I was in business, I put together a card, and I'll give you a copy of the card, but it basically says, Bob Colvin wishes to apologize for his behavior on, and then the date is blank. You gave me one. I'd love another one, because I don't know what I did with it that night. There was too much madness going on, but I loved it. That was, it was hysterical. Well, it's not meant to be funny. What it is, if I play, <laughs> it's not meant to be funny. If I play golf with you, I give you this card, and I say, why are you giving me this? And I say, you'll find out. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Because I'm constantly apologizing. I'm constantly feeling like calling people and go, hey, I didn't really mean that, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. And, you know, it takes, some people just don't. Is that, the, is, that, is that part of the Tourette's? Is that part of, is that the impulse thing? Yeah, it's a Tourette's it's thing. It's a Tourette's thing. <clears throat> it's okay. a Tourette's thing because, you see, when I can control my Tourette's, mm -hmm. I can control my thoughts, my verbiage, and this and that when I'm in a controlled environment like this. Mm -hmm. But if I go somewhere where I enjoy myself, yeah. Well, but that I, was crazy that night that I met right. you, and there was a lot. There's a lot of sexual jokes, a lot of sexual innuendo all the way through the night, and you got to charge it. But we all did. But that's the environment you're talking about. We were at a bar, and it was someone's par birthday. Well, I can let was, my guard down. Yeah. So if I'm with my friends, yeah. I'm with my girlfriend, I'm with my parents, and I let my guard down. I have, you know, most people have a filter. Mm -hmm. I don't. Mm -hmm. So you know, if I decide to turn off. The filter, which is a lot of work. So it's keeping the filter. Keeping the filter. Mm -hmm. It just goes. Mm -hmm. And stuff comes out because I have the ability, I don't know what it is, uh, you know, that, you know, I just think faster than, I can talk faster than, I, I don't you know. You think faster than you talk. You know, I'm just, you know, they call me the original rapper. Okay. But, you know, I'm going to continue on doing this uh, stand-up, and crazy is going to be the uh, catalyst, mm -hmm. and it's going to talk about crazy things I've done, why people think I'm crazy, and it's good for me, and I think it's good for other people, because, you know, in all comedy, it's really about truisms, things that have happened to other people, but you, you're just saying it, and, and they're thinking it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell me about, you had mentioned that you had um, an... You were interviewed for a magazine? 
Yeah, again, was that about a month ago? Yeah, this just came out of the mindfulness, and I was identified not by name, but as a the entrepreneur fly fisherman. Okay. And it was about the mindfulness and, you know, how I used it to help me with my uh, mood disorders and talk a little bit about uh, this comedy that I'm taking and how laughing like crazy has been helpful. Okay. Can I ask you something, too, about the Tourette's? I know in some instances, if you're put on the spot and you're put in front of people to perform, your Tourette's can all of a sudden drop away. Absolutely. Now, that's so interesting to me because I've seen it. My daughter, actually, that happened when she was doing a play when she was quite young. Uh, she was ticking away, ticking away for a period of time. I don't know how long she had had the Tourette's, probably close to a year. It, she still has it, but you, you wouldn't know that it's there because she deals with it in, uh, and it's very mild. But when, yeah, she went up on stage once, she was in a play, and I was shocked. I was nervous for her initially, thinking that she was going to tick away and it would make perhaps make it bigger because she was nervous, and it went away. Can you explain that? Yeah, first thing, I didn't know your daughter had Tourette's. Yes, well, she's got, um, it's, it's, she was originally diagnosed with Tourette's, anxiety, and OCD. That was the original diagnosis. We didn't know later on that, that it was going to be, she's, that's the part of the uh, comorbid stuff of what she's got with the bipolar. But that's how, that's how it originally presented when she was uh, in grade one, is what she was diagnosed with. So, so the Tourette's is still, it's still there, but it's, it's very, very, very mild. Well, it's a complicated thing, Tourette's. I mean, I have, I have coughing. I, I mean, I don't bark, although I could start barking if you thought. No, and I don't, don't mean that disrespectfully I, no, at no, all. I, I know, but I, I have coughing. I have twitches. People have. And, um, you know, and then I, I swear a lot. Okay. You know. Is that, that's not controllable, though, to me. Mine, mine is, I'm trying to explain it to people who are listening. So I can control when I turn around and use the F word and start swearing my head off. I know that I have some control over that. Yours is not, right? Well, yeah, it is if I don't, but once I turn off the filter, it's not. Then it's not, okay. And that's what people love. I mean, you know, <laughs> they love, they love, but you can't be like that, in, you know, in business, and you can't be like that with certain people. Now that my parents are in their 80s, I can't be like that mm -hmm, with, mm -hmm. with them. But, I mean, you can, can see that there is a surgeon that has Tourette's, and he can operate no problem. My Tourette's will go away if I'm entertaining or if I'm talking or if I'm focusing on something. Because that was interesting. When I met you, you told me that you had Tourette's and that you had some mental health things that you wanted to talk about on the podcast. And I thought, I just kept thinking to myself, I guess the Tourette's is not that prevalent because I don't see it. I didn't see it that night at all, not one bit. That's because I was entertaining. Yes. I was expending energy. But, I understand. you know, one of the things that you will understand as a beautiful woman is, is that my Tourette's has a cycle. It's of like course. Ha it's it like waxes, what they call waxes and weans. Is it? Waxes. That's, that's, the, that's the terminology, yeah. Waxes and weans. I mean, Wa waxes and weans, yeah. Well, it means that it's either presenting say that, or... No. Say that yeah. 15 <laughs> times, you podcaster. <laughs> waxes and weans, waxes and weans. But... Um, you know, it, it circulates around my body, and there's certain times that I know, like, you know, there's not, nothing I can do. I just got to sort of sort of relax. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's not like it's, it's the be-all and the end-all because, I mean, you know, I might not have Tourette's, and I might be able to go up there. My twitching will go away, but my anxiety about having to go to the bathroom mm. uh, will be prevalent. And, you know, I mean, everybody has a weak spot and, you know, that's when my anxiety, that's why I hate flying. That's why I hate being stuck in the uh, Lincoln Tunnel in, in New York. That's why I hate chairlifts, even though I'm, yeah, really? I'm an That's avid skin, but I'm not going to let it overcome yeah. to me. <laughs> you asked the question at the beginning, do I sleep well? Yeah. I sleep incredible because I expend so much energy during the day uh, controlling myself, twitching, 
being frenetic that by the time I go to sleep, you know, it's just time to relax. Well, good good for you, because some people's bodies, as I understand it, who have Tourette's and anxiety and all that kind of stuff, their body doesn't have that self-regulating system to shut off ever, and so they, they sleep can become a very prevalent difficulty. Now, don't forget, I'm 60, mm-hmm. so I've been at this a long time, mm-hmm. but what I was going to say is, is I should be good at it by now, but really what happens is, is that it, you know, the older you get, the harder it is to make it better. The whole, your metabolism slows down so you can't lose weight. Mm-hmm. As far as mood disorders or anxiety, you know, now that I'm 60, it's difficult. So you're saying as you get older, it gets more difficult. Yeah, it gets more the difficult. The anxiety specifically or all of it? Well, for me, it's all different, but right now, <laughs> it's the anxiety. At least I know what my triggers are. Mm-hmm. And when those things happen, I try to manage them. But, uh, you know, it's just a day-to-day exercise that you have to, you have to do. That you got to manage all the time. So listen, I have my channel. I was account. just going to ask you, why don't you I, play me a ditty? Why don't I sing you a song? What I you, would love it. You name the subject and I'll sing about it. Oh, I don't know. Um, you give me a subject that's been on your mind. I'm no, think no. I, gotta, I, I want to show you that I, that I haven't rehearsed this. Okay, all right, all right. Thinking. Thinking. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay. Here we go, Angela. This will right. be, be unique. Okay. Unfortunately, my brother is a professional jazz musician, and my father's a pianist as well. Not a penist, but a pianist. <laughs> I can, I'm self-taught, and I can only play in the key of C. Okay. So my father says, boy, Bob, if the world operated in the key of C, you'd be a king genius. <laughs> <laughs> and people say, well, can, do, you know, do you know the word, uh, do you know the song, you know, uh, Ain't Misbehaving? I said, no, because you know what? People think I'm a genius when I sing one song, but if they ask me to sing a second song, I don't know what to go with. <laughs> but stuff that makes me feel good is like, this guy walks into a bar and he wants to play, uh, uh, he's auditioning, and the guy says, well, do you, do you, uh, what songs do you know? He says, you know, I, I had sex from her with her from the back. He says, well, you can't play that song here. He says, do you know any of the other songs? He says, yeah. I got blown in the back seat of a car. He says, well, you can't sing that song here. So he says, well, I have to go to the bathroom. So he goes to the bathroom, and he comes out, and some lady looks at him and says, do you know 
your dick is hanging out of your pants. He says, no, it. I wrote it. <laughs> Those are the kind of jokes I like to tell, but you can only do that if you're doing comedy. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you, what else can I tell you? Because I'm enjoying this tremendously. Yeah, so am I, actually, a lot. And I hopefully it's going to be helpful oh, it's to, to your readers because you know what? You know, I've offered this uh, to everybody, and uh, you know, I do have this website that you know people will be able to contact me. And Where do you see that going? How about we start with that? Where do you see what? How do you see you developing that? I've seen your stand up on there; it's fantastic. I would love for everybody to go and find it on the internet. Tell me where it is again. The, the website is crazy, K-R-A-Z-Y, after all these years, dot com. Okay, because it <laughs> it's excellent. It's Thanks, Bobby. I'm going to have to stop you right there. We're just out of time for this week. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. And let's continue next week right where we left off. Don't forget to follow Different From The Other Kids on Facebook and Twitter. Please review our podcast on iTunes. This will help us spread our message and reach all those who need some support. Thanks for all your support. We'll see you next week. Different from the other kids. Season 2. Production of Marketing Maven Agency. And now a disclaimer. In general, I, Angela Sunis, am not a doctor, and I certainly don't play one on the internet. I'm a parent, period. The advice from me presented on Different from the Other Kids does not replace advice received directly from a medical health professional. If you think you need help, I do recommend making an appointment with your physician or other appropriate healthcare provider. Thanks for listening to Different from the Other Kids. Made possible with the support of Raven 5. We are Contest Marketing. You can find them online at www.raven5.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.